Hi, welcome to episode 16 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be discussing the price action in foreign exchange over the last few weeks, along with recent central bank signals. We will discuss some of the key central bank events upcoming in August. The title for this episode is, Is There a Policy Shock That Can Break the Summer Doldrums? Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Greg, it's August 10th, 2021. Uh, we're going to launch this podcast. And what we normally do is we look at what's been happening in the FX markets recently. But most major currency pairs are, are still stuck in a range. Dollar Canada, 124, 126, basically. Dollar Yen, still 109, 111, more or less. Euro dollar looks a bit offered. I think there's a dollar story in there, but there's also a carry story there too, with the euro underperforming on the non-dollar crosses. But, you know, look at dollar China, still hovering just under 650. You know, basically, we've yet to see a definitive breakout in the major currency pairs. So I guess to sum up, for the benefit of our listeners, what what we want to accomplish with this podcast, as you kind of hinted at in the intro, is to identify where there has been or where there might be policy shifts that the FX market can feed off of, because the policy sphere is one of the first places to look as far as currency market drivers are concerned. So in other words, for an analogy here, even though the winds aren't blowing now and FX pairs aren't really moving all that much, has the captain of the ship changed the heading so that when the wind does start to blow again, the ship will be moving in a different direction on the compass? Is there a currency where you'd say that the captain has changed the heading? Yes, there is. And if you were wondering what that sound was, I pounded the table. And I don't do that very often, either literally or figuratively. The captain I will identify is Governor Orr of the RBNZ. And the currency is the New Zealand dollar or Kiwi. And I really like the uh, sailing analogy here. So let me just start by saying that the uh, NZD USD or Kiwi US exchange rate has been stuck in a major doldrums for two months. We've been between 69 and 71 cents ever since the June 16th FOMC. But while that exchange rate seemingly isn't moving, RBNZ Governor Orr has completely reoriented the headings of the good ship NZD. The first piece of that was ending the bond purchase program back in July. The second piece has been communicating an intention to hike to markets. Right now, the OIS market has about 29 basis points of rate hike priced in for the meeting next week on August 18th. Going back to when we entered the doldrums on June 16th, 
there were zero basis points priced into the NZD OIS curve for that particular date. So this is a, a relatively massive shift in headings. It's fascinating to me that the currency seemingly hasn't moved. But actually, I will point out that maybe US dollar strength has masked the uh, Kiwi move a little bit. For New Zealanders, the cross rate that matters most is uh, New Zealand dollar relative to the Australian dollar. And on that axis, uh, Aussie Kiwi axis, New Zealand dollar has gained about 3%. My typical rule of thumb is that the first rate move of a cycle, and I would say particularly when a central bank is going it alone, it should be worth about 5% for the currency. So while the rate hike is fully priced into the rates market, I'm not sure that it's fully priced into the FX market yet. It might be maybe halfway priced into Aussie Kiwi, but I would think that when the wind starts blowing again in, in FX, I would think we would see more gains in New Zealand dollar relative to U.S. dollar, and particularly in, on crosses with New Zealand's key trading partners in the Asia-Pacific region. A lot of great points in there, Greg. I just want to concentrate momentarily on one remark you made, though, when you alluded to the stronger U.S. dollar masking the Kiwi move. Is it possible that the RBNZ has moved the timing of the first rate hike of the cycle forward relative to what it was, say, uh, forecasting earlier this year? In fact, one of the reasons for that is that the Kiwi hasn't been appreciating broadly or aggressively. Great point with your pointed question, Stephen. With New Zealand's small open economy, the exchange rate plays into the RBNZ monetary policy decisions a lot more than is the case for larger and more closed economies. The RBNZ probably looked at the current FX environment and concluded that it could get off the dime and start hiking here without triggering a massive appreciation. The RBNZ has been able to uh, effectively reorient from behind the curve relative to inflation to now ahead of the G10 pack and done so quite adeptly. It's an impressive little sailing maneuver, actually. So let me ask you, Stephen, are there any central bank captains in the currencies that you cover who have similarly exploited the moment to reorient the headings of their ships? Yeah, thanks for the handoff, Greg. So I want to focus briefly on the Bank of England's August monetary policy communications, which tilted hawkishly, but I'd point out a few things. The first is pound dollar, also known in the FX market as cable. It's not at 145 or 150. It's between 135 and 140. So like the RBNZ, the policy implications for the exchange rate are somewhat limited from this hawkish tilt from the BOE. And I think the central bank takes comfort from that. Secondly, you know, all the BOE really did, all the tone from the BOE really did, in, in, at least in my opinion, was give an affirmative nod to what was largely priced into the Sterling OIS curve already for interest rate hikes. In other words, the bank didn't really communicate anything on policy that isn't already believed by the market to be possible over the next 12 months or so. And the, the bank now has wiggle room to implement the first move up in the base rate by less than 25 basis points next year if conditions play out at least as expected. I think that figures into, I guess, what I would call my third angle on the BOE, which is the slow grind lower in euro sterling. And that's obviously an important currency pair for Britain. What the bank has done is reaffirmed the slow grind lower in that pair, but it hasn't done anything to seriously tip the balance one way or another. 
And of course, with the BOE, a mitigating factor for the extent of any rate hikes from the central bank is the fact that the bank through the Financial Policy Committee can tighten credit policy for the banks without touching the level of interest rates if that's what it deems necessary. So this is a flow of credit angle versus the cost of credit angle. The bank has that flexibility if it needs it. Hey, Stephen, with your statement that the slow grind lower in euro sterling is probably okay to the Bank of England, how far ahead of the ECB do you think the BOE would dare get without having to worry about triggering a bigger and unwanted sterling appreciation? They will be conscious of the ECB, Greg. There's no doubt about that, even if it's only from the angle of the impact of policy divergence on the exchange rate, as as you pointed out. But the effective or operative difference during this cycle, I think, relative to the period following the global financial crisis is potentially going to be fiscal policy. 2022 and 2023 are going to be reasonably important years for the government to make good on its promises from the last last election campaign. So the influence of fiscal policy on the economy is is probably going to be an important a factor of consideration for the BOE's policy response. So with that, Greg, I think it's time to shift the focus onto the biggest ship of them all, the Fed. I get a sense that there is market hype building into the Jackson Hole Symposium. What's your spin on all of this? Yep, Stephen, the uh, hype is building about Jackson Hole. To frame my thoughts on that issue, I want to go back to Powell's July 28th press conference after the FOMC. I'll admit it was somewhat buried in the last third of a 45-minute presser. But he got asked a very pointed question on that issue. I'm going to read some excerpts from pages 18 to 19 of the transcript of the press conference. So question from Michael McKee at Bloomberg TV. I know a lot of people on Wall Street have basically felt you're going to lay out your taper plans at Jackson Hole. Is that the plan or are we not going to see anything until the fall? Close quote. Powell's response here, um, and I've cut it down to the key points on that question, but open quote here. There's a range of views on what timing will be appropriate, dot, dot, dot. Today, I've given you what I can give you because, again, this was the first really, I I would say, deep dive on the issues of timing, pace, and composition. And it was a good meeting. And, but... No decisions are made, and I'm just not in a position to give you much guidance, really any guidance on the actual timing. I, uh, But I will say we're making progress. We expect further progress, and we expect that if things go well, then we will, we will reach that goal. And when we reach it and the committee is comfortable that we have reached it, then we will taper at that point. I really, uh, there's nothing I can say about Jackson Hole. You know, I'm, we're in the process of writing that speech and I'm going to give a speech and, uh, but I wouldn't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to say what will be in it at this point. Close quote. Greg, you know, you're sounding more like a central banker every day. (laughs) All right. So Greg, read between the lines, break it down for me. What was Powell implicitly saying there with all of that? Here's my read between the lines of what Powell said. Basically, he said, the FOMC is a committee. We don't have a broad agreement as a committee on when to taper yet. It will probably take several meetings to reach an agreement. 
and I'm not going to get ahead of my committee. Stephen, I, I would also point out that Powell is navigating the big ship Fed through some really tricky waters right now. One of the things that makes the waters so tricky is that his term ends in less than six months, and it's not clear whether he will be reappointed as the captain of the ship for a second term. There are also several empty or soon-to-be-vacated seats on the FOMC. So for Powell to reorient the headings of the ship now, without broad committee agreement, and without knowledge of committee composition in a few months from now, you know, when the Fed will actually have to start sailing in the direction that, that Powell sets, if he sets a new direction, I don't know. He's got a really tough job right now, that's for sure. I guess I personally don't tend to think we'll see anything path-defining in his Jackson Hole speech. Greg, not to cut off the all-important Fed conversation, because it is important, but it's not the only big ship out there. So can I just briefly cover the PBOC and Dollar China? Yes, please do. The PBOC is always an important player in FX, but it, it kind of seems like we've gotten mixed signals from them. So I've got to ask you, which way are they pointing that big ship? Are they going to be easing or tightening? Well, Greg, you know, my angle on China for most of the year has been the extent to which it has operated as a counterweight to what other global central banks have been doing. And that's partly a function of how 2020 played out for China and the rest of the world. It's a function of other things too, but that's one of the main ones. But to sum up, when most, if not all of the central banks were strictly in full-on easing mode earlier this year, the PBOC was engineering a slower pace of credit growth. And more recently in Q3, as other central banks have made noises about policy normalization, the PBOC has eased off a bit by implementing the triple R cut earlier this quarter. What's the gist here? The, the economy is stimulus dependent to a degree, just like everyone else's, but policymakers don't want to go too big or they'll have to clean up a big mess later on. So what has happened? They've loosened credit policy a bit in Q3, but they've also parked dollar China, the other avenue through which the PBOC sets policy. So the RMB isn't depreciating broadly either. So loosened credit policy a little bit, eased off on the policy normalization, but they've parked dollar China. So Stephen, uh, the Chinese equity market has massively underperformed uh, MSCI world this year. How big of an issue do you think that is for the PBOC? It's important, Greg, but I wouldn't want to leave the impression that it's entirely an unintended consequence of where policymakers have steered the ship. They're not solely focused on the equity market, but it's an important variable and it's an important signal to the global economy. It's not an unintended consequence, basically, of where they have steered the ship. And I think policymakers don't want to be responsible for excessive gains. And that's probably one reason why Chinese A shares are where they are. But again, it's important to note that they've eased off a bit on policy normalization, and that may put a floor underneath asset prices. Stephen, I, I think we've gone through the most pertinent undercurrents in the FX market right now. Maybe we should end it here. Yeah, let's wrap it up, Greg. And just to tie everything together, I, we started this podcast by trying to identify where the policy sphere or how the policy sphere could cause a range break in the FX market. But I think based on all of the angles that we've, we've put on the table, I think the conclusion we have to come to is that currency moves and big realignments and exchange rates are really important. And that's why central banks are pretty comfortable with low volatility 
in the currency markets. Stephen, I think you're right. So for markets, that means that the catalyst for breaking out of the doldrums probably isn't going to come from the policy sphere. All right, that's a wrap, Greg. Listeners, we want to thank you again, as always, for your listenership and for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 